Well, good morning, Anthem. You can uh, turn your Bibles to Matthew 4. Uh, welcome again to the first three service Sunday. This is beginning to feel like senior year of college, right? It's like, let's do it a second time. And if that doesn't work, let's do it a third time. So if there's any of you out there, there's hope for you, um, but also life advice, nail it down, get it done. Uh, but uh, welcome, and uh, we are continuing our series in uh, covering first our vision and then our mission, and then next week we'll be covering our values as a church. And last week we looked at our vision, which is to help people know, love, and obey Jesus Christ. And this week we're going to look at our mission, which is to make disciples who make disciples. Again, Anthem's vision is to make disciples who make disciples. Now, we did not just make that up out of thin air. It may sound familiar. In fact, we, we pretty much plagiarized it and stole it from Jesus. Uh, this comes from the Great Commission. Uh, Jesus has already given a mission to the church, uh, which is to go into all the nations and baptizing them and, and, and teaching them to obey me. And so Jesus sends us to make disciples. Uh, and so we make disciples who make disciples. Now, I, I know as I begin to talk about discipleship and, and the Great Commission and some of these things, you might be thinking to yourself, I've, I've heard this sermon before. Uh, I've, I've heard kind of these ideas of discipleship, and, and, you know, so I can kind of tune out now because uh, this is just going to be kind of the same old thing. And I, I want to kind of raise our, our bar, kind of alertness to this. And, and I want to do that by telling a story myself. When, when I was in seminary, uh, which is where you go to become sometimes really arrogant about Christianity. Um, but when I was in seminary and I was trained to become a pastor, I was working at a Starbucks and, uh, well, I shouldn't have said it. I was working at a coffee shop and uh, I was working at a coffee shop and uh, one of my, uh, a friend of mine who also went to the church I went to, uh, after a customer walked away, he came up and he said, you know, Matt, you're, you're really, really good at like learning, like theology, like learning about God, facts, and, and truths about God. And I was like, okay, thank you. And he was like, but. And I was like, oh, here it comes. And uh, he said, but you're really not that great at loving other people. And, I was, and, and, and he went on to say, and when was the last time that you shared the gospel with somebody who came in to the counter or tried to get to know a, a client or really care for them? And he, he went on, he was like, when, how, you're not too great at loving your wife. And I, he just went out, and I was like, man, I was like, so I was like, shut your mouth, right? Uh, no, thankfully, that wasn't my response. I was, I, I was, I was shook, and, and, and I was shook because I knew that he was hitting on something that I was, if I was honest, was feeling, which was I, I had been intensely discipled for a couple of years, and I found that I was stuck. I wasn't growing much. I, I'd kind of gone so far and so deep, and then it seemed like it just kind of like, it was like the, cat, the, the car ran out of gas by the side of the road. And, and my, so my friend was hitting on something that I was feeling, and I think that many of us feel, which is we, we go so far in our faith, and we kind of have this idea of discipleship, which, by the way, disciple just means to follow Jesus. We'll get in breaking down some of that, but some of you are like, what's this discipleship thing? I actually haven't heard of it. What does it mean to actually grow in the Christian faith and to look more and more like Christ? And so here's the thing. I, this morning as we talk about our mission, my goal is not just to kind of unpack like, okay, we're just called to go be disciples. I want to talk about how do we, how do we grow as disciples so that then that overflows and we're able to make disciples. 
And I want to talk about how we're specifically going to do this at Anthem. A lot of these things are things that have been, uh, since uh, coming in last winter, this has kind of been the plan with, with uh, when I moved here of doing this, but we've been kind of, some things have happened since last winter. Uh, and so we've been a little busy with a lot of other things. Um, and so going into this fall, what we're doing is orienting everything we do around our vision and our mission as a church. And so I'm going to break down a little bit of that practically, but I want today for us to walk away having a clear idea of how at Anthem you can grow as a disciple, how you can go deeper in your faith, how you can focus, and what that looks like to make other disciples. And so we're going to start by just going through, uh, instead of a passage, we're actually just going to have a verse today. We're going to be looking at Matthew 4:19, when Jesus says to the disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Again, the Great Commission is at the end of Matthew. The first time that Jesus addresses the disciples is here in Matthew 4. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So that, we're going to break that into three parts. First, we're going to look at, so this is going to be our definition of a disciple. A disciple is someone who first follows Jesus. Second, we're going to look at a disciple as someone who's changed by Jesus. We're going to look at how, how we can do that at Anthem. And then third, a disciple is someone who orients their life around the mission of Jesus around the mission of Jesus. So let's pray and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you that this morning we don't, we haven't come here just to kind of try to find vague ideas of what it looks like to grow in Christ. We haven't, um, we're not just trying to make this up or fake it till we make it, but Lord, you have given us your word. And Lord, you have thankfully called us to yourself. And so Lord, we ask that this morning, as we hear from your word, Lord, that you would transform us, that you would give us a clear picture of what it looks like to follow Christ, what next steps look like in our lives to follow Christ. And so, Lord, I know that this is not something that we have trouble developing these insights or to know them, but, Lord, we don't have to look into ourselves. They don't come from me, but, Lord, they come from your word. And, Spirit, we ask that you would impress them upon us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Again, Jesus said, follow me. Now, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Clearly, Jesus, we have to get an idea, what does Jesus mean by follow me, right? Because Jesus doesn't just say, hey, travel with me, right? It's not like Jesus was driving around a little jalopy or a Winnebago, and he was like, hey, guys, I'm going on a tour of the Middle East. You want to come with me? And they're like, sure, let's follow him, right? That's not what he's talking about. There's something else going on in the context. And just two verses earlier, in verse 17, Jesus calls the disciples by saying, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near, Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. And so what what repentance means is if you're going one way, repentance literally means to turn and go the other way. But it's not just repenting from anything. What Jesus is saying is he's saying all of y'all, every human being, everyone who's ever existed, you're walking towards some kind of a kingdom, some type of a dream, something that, that kind of is just everything that fills your imagination, the big idea of what life is all about, and you're pursuing that, and you're heading towards that kingdom reality, that kingdom dream that you have, that your heart's taking hold of. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I'm coming in to tell you there's a different kind of kingdom, and you can turn to that kingdom, and that kingdom starts with me, and I'm actually the king of that kingdom. I'm bringing about that new reality, and it's starting by coming to me. Now, What's interesting with that, I know when, when I hear the word repentance, it's easy to just think like, oh, like I was going to a kingdom that was going to be a lot of fun. Like I'm going to, we just moved to Southern California, so I'm going to the Disney Magic Kingdom, right? Like so much fun. And the Jesus is like, repentance. And he's like, oh, that's right. Let's go with Jesus and repent, right? Like over here. That's sometimes how we think of the spiritual life. Like all the fun's over here, and then all of a sudden it's shut down, and we're supposed to repent and turn to the, 
like everything goes to grayscale in life, right? But in fact, that is not what repentance is at all. There's a great quote that I heard once that has always helped me think through this. It's by a 6th century church father named John Climactus. By the way, isn't that an amazing name? John Climactus, right? When somebody has a name, John Climactus, you listen to John Climactus. And he says, repentance is the daughter of hope, the refusal to despair. The daughter of hope, the refusal to despair. See, what he's getting at there is he's saying, when Jesus says to repent, what he's doing is he's saying, you're going this way, and you're saying, this kingdom, and when I finally find it, and you keep going through life, searching for that kingdom, and eventually you find that that kingdom's like this phantom that you can never quite get a hold of, that it never, the promises of that kingdom never actually come true, that it keeps pulling you along, and eventually you're going to fall into despair, because you're going to realize it's something I can't get. And what happens is we start to live our lives because we've gone so far down that road that we start to just numb ourselves with whatever we can find so we don't have to live with that kind of psychological, spiritual reality that I'm not going in the right direction, that it's all not working out the way it should. And what we do is we numb ourselves and then we just move more and more towards despair and we don't have actually any hope. And if we were to actually look up over the numbing and the silencing of that, then we would see that it's like, I have no idea where this whole thing is going. My life is actually just despairing. And so what Jesus is saying when he says repent is he's saying, actually, when you're repenting, you're turning to life. When you're repenting, I'm saying that over here, I will fulfill my promises to you. In me, there is life forevermore, and my kingdom is unending. There is perfect justice and peace and beauty and truth in my kingdom. And so come to me. So repentance, repent and believe Believe that there actually is something, that thing inside of you that's just like a honing device, like a magnet, just trying to find something that nothing in this world can satisfy. He's saying, follow that. Because it's pointing to me. So when Jesus says repent and believe, he's not just saying turn to what was fun, to what's just dreary. He's saying this is turning from despair, turning to hope. This is why... One of the authors, he has this great definition of, of discipleship, different to mine, but kind of captures another element. He says, discipleship is apprenticing with Jesus to be human again. Do you hear that? Apprenticing with Jesus to be human again. In other words, there's all these ideas of, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go here, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. That's not what it means to be who you are truly designed to be, what your heart and your soul is really made for, what your body is really made for. Turn to me and apprentice and follow me, and I will teach you what it means to be truly human and to know God. Now, when I say apprentice, I, and I think that gets to a little bit of what we're going to be, the kind of uh, dynamic we're going to be talking about this morning. Apprenticeship is a word we don't use that often, right? Like, you, you don't get done with high school, and they're like, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to apprentice with the blacksmith for the next year, with John Climactus, the blacksmith, right? No one, no one is, is, is using the term apprenticeship anymore, right? We, in the modern world, we use words like internship, right? Now, in the ancient world, when you would intern, or sorry, when you would intern, apprentice, when you would apprentice with somebody like, member, uh, you know, everyone has like the last name Smith. It was because somewhere in their genealogy, someone was a blacksmith, right? Some of you are like, what? Like most last names were somebody's vocation. And so what you would do as a kid, when you would become your last name Smith, you're going to become a blacksmith, what you would do is you would kind of learn all of the realities of what it means to be a blacksmith. You learn kind of the alchemy of it and how the metals come together and how you weld them and heat and temperatures and all these things. You learn a lot of data and facts. In other words, there's an academic aspect, a head aspect of apprenticeship. 
But as you learned that, you worked it out. You hammered out swords, and you practiced, and you learned the skills, and you figured out, oh, if I get this high, this is how you actually heat it up. This is the speed you heat it up. This is how you actually do it. And so that's called, the. if you have the academics, you also have the action or the practice. See, apprenticeship is both the academic side, the head part, and the doing part, the action part. And they come together. This is why we do internships nowadays, right? When you come out of college and you get all this head info, and then you, you're surprised because you're like, I know everything. I'm, here I am, world. I'm wrapped as a gift. Hire me, right? And then they look at you and they go, you actually know nothing. You're like, I know nothing. I have a degree that says I know pretty much everything, right? And so they, and I did this when I got out, of, I never got out of undergrad, I went to a church and it was like, hey, I'm here to bless you, right? And they're like, we've seen you before, right? So they're like, hey, why don't you help over here with these new members and people coming in and caring for them? At first they had me like setting up like grill outs and everything. And I was like, I, um, I teach, that's what I do. And they're like, no, you don't, no, you don't. You, you're going to learn how to actually shepherd people and then you'll learn how to teach. And they're like, you know facts, you know how to, to, to spew that stuff, but you don't actually know how to shepherd people. So then they had me doing that for years of learning how to walk with people and counsel them and get to know them and care for them in small groups and all these things. And my heart began to actually grow for what? God's people. And I learned how to act on what I knew. That was so that I would grow, so that I was more well-rounded. I was apprenticing for ministry. Some of you will be apprenticing for the work field that you go in. In other words, Jesus is saying, I don't want you just to have the academics. And I don't want you also just to have all the actions and all the methodology with none of the actual truth. I want you to have both. And your life and following me is about apprenticing with me of learning how to work out all those truths about me while you're going through life and following me. Make sense? So we're now, we live in an age where everything is either academic or it's all just methodology. But what he's saying is, I want to bring those two things together, and that's where you're actually going to be changed. This is why the disciples, when they follow Jesus, he doesn't go, hey, time out. Uh, we're going to do three years. Let's go into a room, and I'm just going to do a lecture, and you guys are going to take notes at desk, and you're going to ask questions as we go. He didn't run it like that. Jesus, they were going, and he was teaching them truth, and he was like, hey, by the way, I'm the great physician. The sick need a physician. And they're like, okay, yeah, that's, that's a great quote. I'm going to write that down, right? And they're following him, and then they go to somebody, and it's actually like a real, a real sinner, right? And they sit down with these real sinners at dinner, and Jesus is like actually eating with them and dipping from the same bowl, and they're like, Jesus, why, how could you do that? And he's like, you remember the, the physician thing? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that. He's like, right now. Like, we're doing this right now. And actually, you're, you're sick too. Like, you, you need me. And this, I, oh. See, it's while we go with Jesus, while we follow Jesus, that he works out the truths in our hearts. And so here's the thing, before we move on to the next point. Who are you apprenticing? See, Jesus doesn't think or, or, or kind of offer this like in a way like, hey, follow me because, you know, you might be in neutral. You might think your spiritual life is kind of like parked in neutral and you're like, I'm not really moving forward, but I'm also not going backwards. Jesus is saying there's no neutral. You're going to live your life following someone. It's not a question of if, but who. I, I, I was convicted of this the other day when I was thinking through like, okay, something big's happening in two months. It's called an election. You may have heard of it. It's going to happen. And on our way there, all the things that are happening, I'm thinking, how do I navigate this well, my soul? But I realized, okay, if I'm listening to two hours a day of podcasts, talk radio, whatever, trying to understand, but then I'm only giving like 10 minutes a day to Jesus, who's going to end up apprenticing me? 
And I'm not, I mean, hear from me. I'm, I'm of all people, one of those guys, I'm like, learn everything you can, get all the data you can. I'm that, you may be like that where it's like, I would encourage you, know as much as you can, get into the issues, discern, but also make sure while you're doing that, you're following Jesus. Make sure you're hearing from Jesus and you're working out the truths of his kingdom, not just every other slogan and platform and kingdom message. But here's the thing, in our day and age, who is apprenticing you? We can no longer, we can no longer, hear this, if you take away almost nothing else, take away this. Our culture is moving in a place where you can no longer just say, just passively go through life and say the culture will just Disciple me, disciple my children. It'll just teach us what it means to follow Jesus. That's diminishing. That is diminishing. And so what Jesus is saying is, follow me. I will help you navigate the realities around you. Apprentice with me. And so next he talks about what does it mean to be changed by Jesus. So a disciple is someone who then follows Jesus but also is changed by Jesus. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you. I will change you. I will take what you were and make you something else. So Jesus promises if we follow him, he'll change us. Now, I know what you may be thinking. You may be thinking like, okay, I've, pastor, I've tried that. Like here I am a couple years later. I'm into this whole thing and I've tried that and it's not really, I'm not experiencing change. Now, here's what I would welcome you to consider for a moment, because I've been there. Like, trust me, I've been there. I've, I've been there several times. I'm like, what's going on? And here's what I've discovered. Over and over again, Jesus is saying, I want to change. I want all of you. Jesus doesn't say like, hey, follow me, uh, implied you, uh, but just your head. Or hey, follow me, but just, just your actions. I just want your actions, but I don't really need your heart. Jesus says, I want all of you you follow me. And so often what we do is we have this tendency to kind of lean in with one part of ourselves to Jesus and the other part we kind of keep the foot kind of halfway in or, or like all completely out. What I mean by this is all of us are wired differently where some of us are more like I'm more of like a head introverted kind of person, right? And then some of you are more like the loving people. Like you're just, you wear your heart on your sleeve. You're always serving people. You're always loving on people, welcoming people. You're like, I don't know why I do it, but I just love people, right? And then you got some of you who are like really dutiful, obedient, like disciplined individuals. You're like, if Jesus said it, I'm going to do it. And I don't even need to know why, right? But then you also kind of run over people while you're doing it because you struggle with love, right? So we all have these different kind of, I would call them temperaments or gears that we naturally operate in. And what happens is we can go through life as disciples just kind of growing in our strength without allowing Jesus to refine the other areas. So what, but Jesus says, I want all of you. Now, what this ends up looking like is uh, it ends up, like, you know, like in the gym, when, uh, when you go to the gym and, like, there's someone there who's like, we all know this person. So you're, like, in the gym and, and there's somebody who's there, like, it's like 200 pounds. They're, like, curling it. They're like, yes, right? And they're humongous. And then they stand up from behind, like, the weight, whatever they're in, and they walk out, and they're, like, toothpicks. And it's like, you've never done a leg day in your life, right? Like, you're huge, and they're looking in the mirror, and it's like they look like, like a hand-wrapped sushi roll, right? It's just kind of like, boom, <laughs> like that. And it's like, have you ever, like, do you, like, it's a Lego movie reference. Batman, he's like, I never skip leg day, right? Like, you always skip leg day. And it's like, what's going on? It's like, that's not, like, you're like, yes, this is great. And you're like, actually, it's awkward for all of the rest of us who are in the room, right? And it's like, do you ever work out anything else? It's the same thing spiritually when all we do is we're like, look at this. I know my theology. It's so great. And then it's like, but the love part or the obedience part, 
People are watching your life and they're like, mm, this is, seems a little awkward, right? What Paul says, this is why I think Paul uses training language. He's talking to the first generation of Christians who are figuring out what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to navigate, at that point, a completely Greek pagan culture, follow Jesus in the midst of it when there's no help all around us? He says, you have to train. Listen to this in 1 Timothy. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Train yourself for godliness. You know what? Training is different than just like, uh, than just exercising. So if you're going through, like I remember for years I would like exercise and I was like, I don't like doing this. Like every day I would get up and it's like, okay, like I'm running or I'm whatever I'm supposed to do and I have no idea why. Like this is me running, obviously. I trained really well. And so when I'm running, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I'm just kind of running out of purpose. I, why? And what Jesus says, or what Paul says here, is he says, actually, instead of exercise, just kind of going through the motions because somebody told you you should, you should think of it as training. Instead of just kind of every day, I have these disciplines in my life. Maybe I read my Bible. Maybe I pray. Maybe I kind of give to the church. Maybe I do these things. He says, wait, 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 wait. Yes, good. That's a baseline. But why? How do we focus that? How do we take that and we develop? See, training says I'm not, I'm going to move beyond where I am. I'm going to push myself beyond where I am. I'm going to lean into Jesus. I'm going to lean into his grace. I'm going to take steps of faith in the things that are going to challenge me. And as I do so, I'm going to expect God and his grace to help me to grow and help me to progress. And it's kind of like things in our lives, like, like perseverance. I remember I, this all came together when one time somebody said to me, you know, perseverance is a muscle that you train. Like it's going to be like a character attribute that you have to train over time to learn how to persevere. I'm like, it's so true. Like, and over time, we develop these different muscles. And so what we want to do is we want to help you. Think of, like, Anthem and what we're doing as, like, like, a, like a regimen. Like, helping giving you these different things that you can grow in. And that's why our vision is so important to wed it with our mission. How do we make disciples who make disciples? By helping them know, love, and obey Jesus. Know, love, and obey. That all three of those... And so what happens is someone like me who's just like, no, like, oh, I'm just going to know facts and figures and that's all I do. I'm not going to do this other stuff. I'm pulled into rhythms of loving people and obeying Jesus and serving and whatnot, sharing my faith. Whereas people who are just all love, they're pulled into like, you need to know why you're loving and where this comes from, but then also pulled into what are obedience and stewardship and things like that. So just a quick run through, I want you to think about, this is what we're doing as we move forward as a church, is how do we bring, if this is our mission, if this is our doing as a church around these three things. And so as I want to talk about both our Sunday gathering, our Sunday celebrate service, and then our uh, connection groups, which are kind of groups in homes throughout the week where we meet, and then I want to talk about kind of everyday life and equipping. The first is, and think about how all of these shape you. Because what we want to do moving forward is I want you to think about everything that you engage with at Anthem, it not being an accident, it not being something that's just being done because we're like, well, we're a church, we're, we're supposed to do this, right? Like everything that we do, what's the purpose behind it? We're going to be articulating those things and we're working through those things as a staff right now, but everything we do so that you can engage it and you're like, this is helping me become a, a, God, a follower of Jesus. So first, no, think of Sundays. And one of the things I want you to start thinking about Sundays and is that when you come in here, you're coming from a world that tells you a completely different story than the one you get in here. 
Amen? You're getting a completely different story now. And so when you come in here, what we want to do is we have an hour and 15 minutes-ish to be able to re-narrate your life, to reorient the story that you're living in so the story that you're inhabiting and your imagination is captivated by the truth of Jesus. So that's why we do things like when you come in here, we're singing songs that are true about Jesus. We're not just kind of singing songs just to have cathartic moments. We're not just singing songs so we can kind of create consumers who just want to buy a product from us. But we're orienting your heart to Jesus with truths about Jesus. And as you're singing songs, you're doing things like you're, you're, hearing, uh, or you're hearing the word of God proclaimed. Why are we teaching truth? How do you engage with teaching of truth, with God's word? Why do we do communion afterwards? Why is it that we come together and what actually unites us together is the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ? How does that permeate everything that we do in our lives? Why is it that we're sent out to proclaim the gospel when we talk about that? Why do we do the things that we do? See, what happens is so often we come to church and we just kind of go through defaults. And the, the problem is that we just make consumers at the end of the day. But the question is, after five years of gathering here, of being here every Sunday, what kind of a Christian will you become? Will you be a Christian who's built on God's word? Will you be a Christian who's challenged to go out and live out those, the implications of that? So we're going to be bringing up more and more of that. Why do we welcome people? Why do we have that time? What does the Bible say about welcoming others and inviting them in? Something I know right now, some of you are like, I'm trying to wrap my mind around what you're saying. What I'm saying is that how we do church on Sundays actually fundamentally changes us, whether or not we realize it. And so we want to focus around these things. So you're like, I know when I'm coming here, I'm engaging intellectually and I'm getting what we're doing and it's changing how I engage. But then also, no, connection groups. It's one of the main places where we work out the implications of God's word. You can hear it from me today, and then you can go to your connection group, and then you can start talking about the implications of what that means for your life. Like, what does that mean to live this out into what's God convicting me of versus just kind of hearing it and then just, you know, I'm a hearer of the word but not doers of the word. God says, I want you to be a doer. I want you to think through the implications with others. And then lastly, equipping in everyday life. So one of the things is we're equipping you is we're going to be focusing on things like what does it mean to know Christ's purpose for you in your vocation if as a parent as a missionary wherever God has you well how do you what is your calling what does it mean to be in the world what does it mean to be out there remember you don't just come here on Sundays to get discipled and then the rest of the week you're like eh, pause on discipleship I'll get another refill on Sunday right you're being discipled all the time so what does that look like but then love on Sundays when you engage with communion, what does it mean that we come together because of the broken body and shed blood? That's the ground of our unity with one another. But then also on Sundays, what does it look like to invite others in? And not just people like us, but people who are unlike us. See, this is something that will be reinforcing our connection groups because the Bible talks in an in invitation. It uses two terms. One is, uh, is fellowship. And that's the Bible. It koinonia. Some of you have heard this. It's a popular thing. It means that we have life with one another. Those natural relationships that happen where, that we need, where we go deep in the faith with one another. But there's this other term, which is hospitality. Hospitality is sacrificially taking our fellowship, opening up the doors and saying, even though people may not be like me, even though it may not be comfortable, even though it may not really agree with my schedule, I'm going to make room to invite them into my life so that those who don't know Jesus will know Jesus. And our connection groups are our primary place to learn that and work that out with one another. Talk about that. Do it as a group with one another. And then obedience on Sundays. Think about it. If you come and your heart's alive and you 
and you're hearing truth and you're engaging with all that, but then also God calls us to respond. He calls us to steward our entire lives, our time, our talent, our treasure. And so that's what we, we talk about that on Sunday mornings. What does it mean to steward both your time, talent, and treasure here? But that's just a microcosm of what God wants to do through each and every one of you. One of the things going forward as a church is we don't just believe that, like, you know, there's like staff people and then there's like lay people and they just lay around, right? That's not what, biblically, that's not the way the vision is for the church. You're the priesthood of believers. That means that you are called to go out from here and do works, to start initiatives, to go into your neighborhoods, to go into your into the sectors of society that God has placed you, into your classrooms and whatnot, and to live out your faith, whatever God is putting in your heart. And we want to equip you for that, both to give you knowledge of the gospel, then also to give you the heart for the gospel, but then also to help you streamline and see where is God calling me and how can I be obedient in that? And that's one of the focuses going through this fall. I know we haven't gotten a lot of the word out because of fall kicking off. I've been waiting to see what kind of room we have for everything, but classes, Take advantage of things like when, if you're saying, I want to know more about how to study the Bible, when Bible workshops come up, sign up for those. We're going to have a thing called the early burly. I know it's a cool name, huh? But early burly for guys in the fall where it's like learning how to put together a life plan going into the next year to get, to your, get on top of leading your home or your career or education. Women, there's going to be some stuff going, coming your way as well with that. But we're thinking about how do we, we're doing parenting workshops, equipping you for where God has you, vocational training, thinking about how the gospel works or what God is calling you to with the gospel and your vocation, take advantage of those things. Grow. Pull others into your life. Sign up for a connection group before you leave here today. That's one of the best places to start to get into mentor relationships even. So make use of those. But then the last, disciple is someone with a life oriented around the mission of Jesus. So we've talked about how we follow Jesus. A disciple follows him. They're apprentice by G- with Jesus. They apprentice through life with Jesus. And then they will, Jesus will change you. I will make you. But then a fisher of men. I will make you fishers of men. See, Jesus, you might be saying, like, if you've never read the Bible before, you're like, what? Like, everyone who follows Jesus gets a fishing license? I don't understand. Right? Jesus was talking to fishermen. The disciples were fishermen. That was their vocation. And he's not just saying, like, hey, I want everyone who really follows me to leave their profession, their vocation, and follow me. What he's saying is the ultimate goal of wherever God has placed you is so that you would use it to ultimately save souls. So you would lead others to Christ. That your life and your vocation, your job, your career, the business you own, the business you work for, whatever it is, your education path, your career path, that is all so that it would be used to proclaim and make much of Christ. So Jesus says, when you follow me, I radically orient the whole purpose of your life, that you thought your purpose was actually to fish for fish, which is maybe still going to happen. But actually your purpose, even in the midst of that, is to fish for men to fish for men. And so here's one of the things, which means that found people find people. Found people find people. You've been found in Christ. And because you've been found, because the love of Christ has been poured into your heart, you now are called to find others, others who don't know Christ. Christ has called you out of darkness into light, and he calls you as light back into the darkness to help those who are in darkness to come to him. That means one thing. This is foundational to everything. We believe that you are not here by accident. I don't mean just like right now. That's not by accident either. But I mean in your neighborhood, in the season of life that you're in, the situation that you're in, the career that you're in, the neighborhood that you're in, the classes that you're in. 
These are all the marriage that you're in, the, the kids that you have. God has you in these places not by accident. One, because it is the exact gym that he wants to train you in. God is doing a work in you, and he's using the circumstances of your life in order to change you and make you look more like him. You are where you are because God wants you. You are already placed where you are because Christ wants you to work out that mission of knowing him there. But then that mission goes to others. God has placed you where he has so you can lead others to him. Listen to how Paul puts this in Acts 17. And he made from one man every nation, he's giving a speech of mankind, talking about God, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God and perhaps find their way towards him and find him. See, what Paul is saying here is a, a profound truth. You are where you are to help those who are reaching their way towards God find him. See, what's happening all around here, what Paul is saying here, is everyone is seeking for God. Everyone is feeling their way towards him. So it's almost like he's giving a picture of like a, somebody who's blind, who can't find those things. I just want to find satisfaction. I just want to find freedom. I just want to find justice. I just find, want to find love and pleasure and comfort and security and affirmation and approval. And I'm looking wherever I can find it. And I'm feeling my way along. And I'm not sure if I'm going to find it. And, and he's saying, don't you see that when they're doing that, they're reaching for Jesus because he's the only one who can ultimately give them all of that. And you are in their life as they're feeling their way along to come along and say, let me take your hand and let me introduce you to the one who saved me. Let me introduce you to the one who will give you the ultimate approval and satisfaction and insecurity that you can never find in this world. What Jesus is saying is that's why you are where you are. He says, your job is to fish for men and women to find them and see where they're pointing for you. Your job is not to sit back and just scoff at them. Look at that moron. Look at that person, how they're living their life. He's saying, move towards them. Who is in your life? Who are the neighbors? Who are the coworkers? Who are the classmates? Who are, the, who are your, your children? Who in your life? How are they reaching? Use discernment. Sit back and study and understand what are they looking for? And everything that they're doing, they're trying to find God and they're finding it in something lesser than God. Something that just is like a foretaste of him. Good things things that are meant to be good and true and beautiful, but they can't find the ultimate true, good, and beautiful in them. He's saying, that's why you are where you are. And take a second and think about those people who are in your life. Think about your neighbors. Think about your coworkers. Think about right now with everything around us, it just feels like everything's on fire. Like, who knows what will happen tomorrow? Be quick to move towards them and say, can I, Jesus, Jesus does this because he wants us to know the joy of life in him. See, ironically, often the thing is the neighbors I have, if I'm honest, the things, because we have like a similar socioeconomic status, we have a similar kind of lifestyle, we have all the similar things, they're often looking for some of the same things. And when I'm actually, the reason why I sometimes get frustrated is because I'm not seeing that, I'm actually frustrated because the things that they're trying to find like they're reaching around trying to find Jesus. And I find that I actually do the same thing with the same stuff. And when I, when I actually sit back and I see, like, okay, they're trying to find it. And whatever they're trying to find it in, acquiring stuff, achievement, success, pleasures, comforts. 
what happens is I start to see like, man, this is what my soul actually needs. And so not only does it do a fundamental change in me and open up my heart to the fact where I'm blind, but I also get a front row seat to see where their eyes are open when they see Jesus for the first time. God has called us to join in his work for our joy, to know joy in him, to see how real and true and good and beautiful his kingdom is. It's our privilege. See, this whole thing, Anthem, this whole thing, like, you know, this, lights and cameras and chairs and buildings and a crowd of people, this, this whole thing doesn't exist just to play church. This whole thing exists. It's all means so that God can make much of himself through us and we can make disciples who make disciples who know, love, and obey Jesus Christ. Without that mission, without that purpose, this is all meaningless. And so where we are headed as a church is focusing like a laser beam on that. In the midst of everything in our culture happening, in the midst of everything just feeling like it's pulling us in every which direction, we say, this is our mission. This is our hope. Anything else we repent of and we turn from despair to find life in him alone. We aren't doing this to make concerts. Concerts make converts and converts make more concerts. We are making disciples who make disciples who know, love, and obey Jesus Christ. So I'm going to just close by asking you, before you leave today, consider what's the next step? What's the next step here? Is it to sign up for a connection group outside? There's a new welcome area outside, so there's plenty of area or space. Sign up there. You can sign up for our uh, weekly emails because you're going to be hearing everything that's going on so you can see where to jump in. Or it may just be simply turning to someone around you and saying, hey, how can I get connected? Where do you go? You know, we've connected. Let me go with you. Take steps to begin to grow in Christ, to invest and join us as we make disciples who make disciples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you created us and you alone can show us what it means to be truly human. Lord, to know satisfaction, to know joy forevermore. And Jesus, you secured it. You are at the Father's right hand, and at the Father's right hand is joy forevermore, Psalm 1611 says. So Jesus, we know we find it in you. And so Jesus, we ask that you would have your way with us, that you would teach us to follow you. You would teach us to lay down our stubbornness and the things, the areas that we see aloft from you. And Lord, we would open them to you and we would allow you to change us, to challenge us, to lead us in the areas that we maybe have been unwilling to open. And Lord, we ask that you would orient our lives around your mission. Lord, you've already done it by your sovereign hand, but Lord, we ask that you open our eyes to it so we would see it. We would see that you've already gone before us and you're already doing a work and you've disappointed us in specific relationships and specific face-to-face -face meetings. Lord, help us to see the work that you're doing, to find joy and hope there and confidence so we might speak your gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.